All right, now, you better not be cheating. This is part two. You better go back and listen to part one if you haven't, because this is a continuation of our discussion of the SMFM console series on FGR. That's fetal growth restriction. And in this section, we're going to cover the management, specifically surveillance tools like umbilical artery Doppler. What about the NST or the biophysical profile? And most importantly, timing of delivery and route of delivery. In other words, is the section required in these cases? Well, we're going to cover all that and more now. Welcome to Clinical Pearls. All right, let's start with umbilical artery Doppler. Remember, there is evidence that suggests a benefit to the use of umbilical artery Doppler in the surveillance of fetal growth restriction. Now, to be honest, Doppler waveforms of the umbilical artery can be obtained from any segment along the umbilical cord. And while there may be some differences at the placental insertion or the fetal insertion, these differences really are quite small and really probably don't have any clinical significance. So it doesn't matter where you really obtain it. Now, let's talk about what an abnormal umbilical artery Doppler is, because everybody remembers that it's absent end diastolic flow or reversed end diastolic flow, and that's correct. But let's take a look at the specific markers of an abnormal umbilical artery Doppler. So an abnormal umbilical artery Doppler is defined as a pulsitivity index, resistance index, or SD ratio greater than the 95th percentile for gestational age or if there is absence or reversed end diastolic flow. Now, just as a quick recap, remember that there should be normal diastolic flow in the umbilical artery. And then as the disease process progresses, there is decreased flow, but that's not as worrisome as end diastolic flow, which is not as worrisome as reversed diastolic flow. So the worst, remember, of course, is reversal of end diastolic flow in the umbilical artery. All right, now here's a big important clinical pearl. Evidence suggests that umbilical artery Doppler, which everybody loves in growth-restricted cases, right? But actually, it does not reliably predict adverse pregnancy outcomes in late-onset FGR. This result is probably related to the lower frequency of placental pathological findings in late-onset FGR when compared with early-onset FGR. Experimental modeling suggests that there is a threshold of placental vascular obliteration that's required before you start seeing these abnormal umbilical artery Doppler results. So remember this, the presence of a normal umbilical artery Doppler in late onset fetal growth restriction does not rule out placental disease. So here's a clinical application of that. In late onset, defined as greater than 32 weeks fetal growth restriction, just because there's normal umbilical artery Dopplers doesn't mean the placenta is not affected. So things like the NST, the non-stress test, come into play. Because if you start seeing lates on the NST, you're still going to act on that because that may show evidence of abnormalities before the umbilical artery Doppler does, again, specifically with late onset FGR. Now, I got to say, remember that these umbilical arterial Dopplers really have value only in FGR cases. SMFM recommends that once FGR is diagnosed, serial umbilical artery Doppler assessments should be performed to evaluate or assess for deterioration. 
with decreased end diastolic flow or in pregnancies with severe FGR. Remember, that's less than the third percentile. SMFM recommends umbilical artery Doppler evaluations at least weekly. Now, if there are absent end diastolic flow, then SMFM recommends Doppler assessment two to three times per week. Now, in cases of reversal of end diastolic flow, then in that setting, SMFM recommends hospitalization, administration of steroids if applicable, heightened surveillance with NST at least one to two times per day. And of course, if there's reversal of flow, consideration of delivery should occur depending on the entire clinical picture. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, before we leave this topic about arterial Dopplers, a quick word about middle cerebral artery, the ductus venosus, or uterine artery assessments, because those have been published as well for fetal growth restriction. But there's a lot of variability in those results. So SMFM states that Unlike umbilical artery Doppler, that is a valid assessment tool, SMFM suggests that Doppler assessment of the ductus venosus, the middle cerebral artery, or the uterine artery not be used for routine clinical management of early or late onset FGR. Let's leave umbilical artery Doppler and talk about NST or cardiotocography. A normal NST in pregnancies with fetal growth restriction is more likely to be associated with a normal perinatal outcome and the presence of spontaneous repetitive lates is accepted as an indication for delivery in viable pregnancies with FGR irrespective of Doppler findings. Remember, we just talked about that. You can't go, well, the Dopplers are fine, but there's recurrent lates. The recurrent lates win all the time. All right, so let's recap. Umbilical artery Dopplers, do it. NSTs, do it. But what about biophysical profiles? I mean, everybody loves the BPP. Well, for fetal growth restriction, BPP may not be very good. More recent studies have questioned the value of BPP in fetal surveillance of high-risk pregnancies, including early-onset severe FGR, because of a high prevalence of false positive and false negative results. Actually, a Cochrane review concluded that available evidence from randomized controlled trials do not support the use of BPP as a test of fetal well-being in high-risk pregnancies. Yep, I know I just messed with a bunch of people saying that statement. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, an NST is a part of a BPP. Absolutely correct. But remember, the first marker of the five markers of a BPP to be affected in terms of fetal hypoxia or ischemia is the fetal heart rate reactivity, the variability. So NST is the valuable marker of the biophysical profile, and that's why NST alone has value over the entire BPP. 
Now I know what you're thinking. Well, what about fluid? I mean, shouldn't we be checking fluid with fetal growth-restricted babies? Well, it also sounded good in the past, but there's actually a lack of data on the role of amniotic fluid assessment and FGR management. However, current guidelines on medically indicated late preterm and early term deliveries do suggest delivery at 34 weeks and zero days to 37 weeks and six days for babies that have FGR associated with oligohydramnios. All right, we're at the end of the podcast. So now let's talk about the timing of delivery and route of delivery. Now remember, timing of delivery has a lot to do with how severe the FGR is. Remember, there's 5 to 10th percentile, 5 to 3 percentile, and then under the 3rd percentile, which is severe, as well as the Doppler indices and the NST findings. So those are the three main factors we have to think about. How severe FGR is, what do the Dopplers say, and how is the NST? That will guide our decision of when to do induction of labor for FGR. Let's run through those scenarios now. SMFM recommends delivery at 37 weeks of gestation in pregnancies with FGR and an umbilical artery Doppler that's showing decreased diastolic flow, but does not have absent or reversed flow. Now, it also recommends this 37-week delivery in cases of severe FGR less than the third percentile. All right, so remember, 37 weeks FGR with decreased flow, but without absent or reverse flow, or with severe FGR less than the third percentile. So here's something you may want to remember for the MOC, decreased diastolic flow. Remember, that's the first thing, the first domino to fall, but it's not as bad as absent or reverse flow. But decreased flow is associated with an SD ratio RI or PI greater than the 95th percentile. So if you see that decreased flow with FGR, then it's 37 weeks. Now, what about cases when there's actually absent end diastolic flow? The next domino falls. SMFM recommends delivery in those cases at 33 to 34 weeks. And in cases where there's reversal of end diastolic flow, SMFN recommends delivery at 30 to 32 weeks. And of course, in these cases, magnesium sulfate should be used if it's under 32 weeks for neuroprotection. And of course, steroids should be administered until 34 weeks or up to 36 and 6 if delivery is seemed eminent in the late preterm interval. Here's the last delivery timing recommendation. In babies that are not severe, defined as anything between the 3rd and the 10th percentile that have normal umbilical artery Dopplers, SMFM actually says you can actually wait until 38 to 39 weeks of gestation. So 3rd to 10th percentile, normal Dopplers, so in other words, pretty mild fetal growth restriction, you can actually wait to 38 to 39 weeks. And lastly, regarding the route of delivery or the mode of delivery, there's actually limited data to inform recommendations regarding the mode of delivery in pregnancies complicated by FGR. But we can say something about, well, the most severe cases. SMFM states that for pregnancies with FGR complicated by absent or reverse diastolic flow in the umbilical artery, cesarean delivery should be considered based on the entire clinical scenario. So it's not a mandate, but those are likely going to have a high rate of intrapartum cesarean section for non-reassuring fetal heart status. And so, again, with absent or reversed end diastolic flow in FGR cases, then cesarean delivery should be considered. 
Well, this brings us to a wrap. This is part two of FGR, which is the SMFM console series from October of 2020. And it's also part of the ABOG 2021 first quarter reading list. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.